Welcome to the Architect of Change Show with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman and Associates. Now, here's Connie. Hi, I'm Connie Whitman, your host, and you're listening to Architect of Change on WebTalkRadio.net. Thanks so much for joining me this week. I picked an interesting quote from Napoleon Hills to start the show today, and the quote says, Every adversity, every failure, every heartache carries with it the seed of an equal or greater benefit. When things go wrong in your life, whether they're big or small, do you react with calm and poise, or do you react as if the sky is falling? Do you know people who seem to get what I call that scary calm when literally their house is on fire and they remain in control and totally pulled together? How do they do it? While in movies, when you see a certain character and they kind of go nuts and they get out of control because something bad's happened in the, in the script, another character next to them will slap them in the face to snap them out of that crazed state. The two reactions are so extreme. Are so extreme. Why do different people react so drastically different? My guest today is going to shed some light, John Vespasian, and he's going to provide some insight as to why it's difficult for humans to remain calm in the face of adversity, and he's also going to give us some tips as to how to live a rational, focused, and motivated life. John is the author of seven books about rational living, including When Everything Fails, Try This, Rationality is the Way to Happiness, I love that one. The Philosophy of Builders, How to Build a Great Future with the Pieces from Your Past. The Ten Principles of Rational Living, Rational Living, Rational Working, How to Make Winning Moves When Things Are Falling Apart. Everyone should read that one. Consistency, the Key to Permanent Stress Relief. And two more, On Becoming Unbreakable, How Normal People Become Extraordinary Self-Confident extraordinarily self-confident. So please, with that amazing list of books, uh, please help me welcome my very interesting author, John Vespasian. So John, thank you so much for being on. Hi, Connie. Thanks for having me on your show. Very, um, when you send me all of the information, and by the way, guys, you have to check it out online. Uh, you could Google John's name. I'll put the spelling on the website and everything because it's... it's um, it's interesting. The way, it's, it's easy to spell. But anyway, um, the pictures, the graphics you chose on the books were really kind of cool, too. They were fun. Well, um, yes, I tried to give my books um, an integrated uh, um, graphical um, I say picture so that when you see one of my books, you can really recognize it immediately. So they are they're all different because some books are fiction and some are nonfiction. But uh, they, they are... They are all presenting uh, the same set of ideas, and I want people, uh, readers, when they see one of the books, to recognize it immediately. So this is why I designed the covers myself. Um, some Did people you draw? Okay, like, come on, you, re- you cannot really draw, and I don't claim to be a great uh, designer, but um, <laughs> I like them. I think they are, they are attractive and they are simple. And what is really important is that uh, when, I, when the books are for sale on Internet, because they, usually the, the images are pretty small, uh, then you can still recognize them, and this is very important. Yeah, I, I loved it. I thought, this is cool. When it, when it came across and you sent me the information, I'm like, all right, this is pretty cool stuff. So I was very excited to have you on and meet you. Let's jump in. Now, your books underline, again, as I kind of highlighted in the introduction, but your books underline the importance of making rational decisions. But does 
but doesn't rationality it does that make for a very boring life well um actually it doesn't um because you have to realize um how uh, most people um uh, face problems uh, face uh, decisions and basically sure. there are two um two main directions you can take, and you can see uh, in, in most parts of the population, you can see that some people become very short-term oriented, and they become a bit uh, skeptical about ideas, skeptical about philosophy, skeptical about principles, uh, skeptical about any kind of abstraction, and they become a bit uh, bitter, and uh, I would say uh, they just don't care. They, they, mm -hmm. they don't care about discussions about philosophy, abstraction, uh, long-term ideas, they just don't care. They just want to do what is uh, convenient now, and mm -hmm. they don't want to hear about uh, long-term ideas. And usually this is a very, um, a very ineffective strategy, because if it's just the person who's chasing the pleasure, or chasing adventure all the time, and has to have continuous uh, excitement from, uh, from entertainment, from drinks, from, uh, from drugs. And in the end, uh, to be short-term oriented is, uh, is proper uh, for animals, but not for humans. Huh? We are intelligent, so we, we, we need to think long-term. And the other extreme is people who uh, become extremely uh, detached from reality. They are always cheerful and positive, and they are, they are living in a, in a world of dreams. Sure. Um, they, they always speak about love attraction and positive thinking and this kind of stuff. So basically, they're always um, in a world of dreams uh, without really looking at reality. And this is the other extreme. They get uh, lost in abstractions. They get lost in ideas, in, in dreams, in, uh, in uh, goals that very often they are detached from reality. And eventually, this is also a very ineffective strategy because eventually you crash. Uh, you try to pursue ideas that are impractical, that uh, you don't really have a plan to implement, eventually you will crash. So rational living is between one and the other. Uh, it looks at uh, reality, it looks at the short term, it looks at the context, but uh, the other, on the other hand, um, it also looks long term. It tries to put logic and it tries to put, it tries to put uh, goals in the context so that you become uh, a full human being. You can uh, look at reality, you can experience emotions, you can experience uh, sometimes frustrations, but at the same time, you use your mind, you use your intelligence uh, to look long-term. And this is the theme of my books, uh, basically to, to analyze dozens of stories from, from real cases from history about people who have found a way, uh, this, uh, this sweet point between uh, short-term and long-term, and they have been able to, uh, to be very successful in their lives. And I also analyze many cases of people who have become uh, unsuccessful. They have made great mistakes, huge mistakes. And uh, this is the whole point of my books, to try to become more rational, to try to become more effective. And I think this is the way to enjoy uh, life uh, to the fullest. Yeah, it's interesting because as you were describing that in my head, this is what my image was. You know, a pendulum, it goes from left to right to left to right. But when it comes to rest, it rests right in the middle. And that is always the sweet spot. You know what? You can dream a little bit and you can have off days because bad things happen, right? But we have to have that sweet spot right in the middle where you can dream but put an action in place to make that dream a possibility. You can't just dream and think, law of attraction is going to work for me and oh baby here it comes that's crazy so you have to you have to have um, your own movement in that process now in one of your books you put you, you speak about the difficulty for human beings to remain calm in the face of adversity why is that well this is because uh, to a large extent uh, we are still animals and we tend to panic 
And um, nowadays, uh, very few people starve. Um, I mean, you can always find ways to get some food or to get some help. Uh, very few people, I mean, at least in industrialized countries, very few people starve. But still, uh, we have uh, in our psychology uh, the the emotional reactions of uh, living, uh, I mean, thousands of years ago in the jungle, and when you are threatened uh, by danger, whether it's uh, losing your job or losing your investments or losing your relationship or losing your health, we tend to panic and we tend to, uh, to become extremely upset. Uh, we make stupid decisions. We become, um, we become like animals. And uh, this is the whole uh, difficulty of, uh, of uh, human life. And um, uh, the, if you, if the only way I have found uh, to overcome this problem, because of course you can do meditation, you can do yoga. I mean, there are many things you can do to try to, to think long term because the whole the whole purpose of the philosophy is to say, okay, the, the right way to think about uh, problems is to think in terms of a lifetime. And when you're facing a crisis, whether it's financial, professional, uh, in your relationships, health, whatever it is, when you're facing a crisis, if you try to think in terms of a lifetime, that you're going to live uh, 80, 90, perhaps 100 years, um, this crisis uh, does not look so important. It does not look so severe. It does not look uh, so threatening. But it's very difficult for human beings uh, to think long term, especially when we are threatened by uh, immediate losses. And this is the whole point. And uh, in my books, I analyze the cases of um, the people who have very nice lives, and one day they, they get uh, hit by a problem, they mm. start to panic, and they start make one mistake after the other, and in the end, uh, they crash completely. And I just want to mention quickly uh, one of the examples that uh, I address in my books, which is really well known to the American public, and it's the, the case of uh, the uh, chess player. Uh, Bobby Fischer, who was uh, was a world champion in the in the 70s, and uh, Fischer was uh, the top top uh, sport uh, star in the basically worldwide, uh, because when he beat uh, the Russian uh, uh, Spassky in um, in Iceland, he became basically the the top uh, star. In uh, he was in all magazines, he was on television. I mean, he was really at the top of his career. He was really a brilliant uh, chess player. But at a certain point, after being um, really, uh, I mean, assailed by all kind of offers uh, to be a, a sponsor, to be, um, uh, to be on TV shows, uh, he became sort of crazy because uh, it's, it's uh, the typical reaction that uh, when people are doing too well or they are doing too badly, they become uh, completely rational. And, and, and Fisher, at a certain point, at the top of his career, he started to fight uh, with the Chess Federation, with the International Chess Federation, about the rules uh, to play against the next um, uh, contender, and the next, um, uh, the, so the possible um, uh, world champion. And um, he started to fight, I mean, there was really a stupid fight about how many points you have to make, I mean, really, like children. And he took it so, so um, personally that he eventually left the United States, he started wow. to play against, um, against Russia, he played in Serbia, and at that point uh, it was under U.S. embargo. So he came immediately in the list of the FBI as, um, as wow. a person to chase. Then he, he tried to evade the, AV, the FBI. He was living, moving from country to country like a fugitive. I mean, you have to imagine. I mean, this guy was really a genius uh, chess player. He was living in Hungary. Then he moved to, um, to, uh, to the Czech Republic. Then he moved to Japan. And he was arrested in the airport and taken prisoner. And he was going to be deported uh, to the U.S., to be, to be trialed for breaking the U.S. embargo against uh, Serbia. 
And at that moment, uh, the, Ice, uh, the Iceland government, they, they had uh, pity on him, and they gave him an Iceland passport. So eventually he was deported uh, to Iceland, where he spent the last 10 years of his life, basically doing nothing because he stopped uh, playing chess. Sure. And he spent his life, uh, the rest of his life, he spent his life reading books about history and philosophy. Wow. And the whole point is, how is it possible that such an intelligent person makes such a stupid mistake? Mm -hmm. uh, you can uh, come on. I mean, the guy was obviously very intelligent because you have to be very intelligent to be a, a, a world-class world chess player. Sure. And the whole uh, the whole analysis I made in my book is that the problem with Fisher is that he never had time uh, to develop a balanced uh, personality, a balanced yeah. philosophy. I mean, he concentrated basically his teenage years playing chess. Uh, night and day, he quit school uh, quite early. Uh, he never really had time to to study history, philosophy, to to develop his ideas, and he became very vulnerable. And uh, once he once he saw he saw himself uh, on top of the of the uh, sport world, uh, then uh, he basically collapsed uh, psychologically, and then he started to do crazy things. So he destroyed his life in a completely stupid way. Yeah. And this is the For kind nothing. of mistakes. Uh, that uh, we have to avoid, huh? Yeah. It's, you're describing to me that fight-or-flight response that humans have, right? We're, we're, and and you, you alluded to it when you said that years ago we lived in the jungle, right? We, we had wild animals around us that we hunted. So you either have to stay and fight for your life or you'd run, um, you know, depending on the situation. So he fights, which is so, it is, it's such a silly thing. Um, we have a couple of minutes before we have to take a break. Can you stay optimistic about the future if you stay in that kind of, again, that sweet spot, that rational spot? Is that, does that help with optim optimism? Yes, and in fact, it is the only way to stay optimistic. Because mm -hmm. uh, if, you, if you try to remain optimistic just by, um, uh, by having positive thinking and trying to cheer yourself up uh, artificially, it consumes all your energy. I mean, you really have to cheat yourself into staying optimistic without really any grounds because you, you have no reason. It is much better to try to remain optimistic uh, by looking at the big picture, realizing the big opportunities we have in this time uh, in technology, entrepreneurship, how the world is becoming better year after year. I mean, if you look beyond the daily uh, disasters that we see in the newspapers, you have to see that those disasters, more, most of the time, they are meaningless. They, they generate some short-term uh, noise and panic and a lot of discussions, but in the long term, they are meaningless. You can see that human life is, um, overall, it is getting better and better every year, and mm -hmm. you see this in the huge amount of uh, entrepreneurship and the new mm -hmm. companies and new technologies that we see every day that are improving our lives enormously. We should not focus on this negative news in the newspapers because if you look at the, at the big picture, uh, those negative spots are really meaningless. Yeah, but it's the whole sensationalism. So that's what the, the media thrives on because we're, we're vying for, well, they're vying for people to listen or to view. And I'm laughing because you're so right about the entrepreneurship and people are able to function at a, at a higher level or are able to be profitable because of the technology. Look at us. You're in the Netherlands. I'm in the U.S. and we're having this awesome, you know, show. So, and we're sharing ideas from literally across the world. I think that's amazing. That it, every time I have, um, I've had someone from Australia, um, 
I've had someone like from Hawaii, which is on the other side, I'm on the East Coast, that's way on the West Coast, and I've had somebody from Canada, and when I have people from around the world, I think, oh my God, this is so cool, you know, they're there and I'm here, and look, we're having this great discussion, um, you know, that's, that's cross cultures, which I think is amazing, because you know what, at the end of the day, really humans, we're all the same. We have to take a quick break, um, John, and then when we come back, I want you to talk about... Um, People who don't have clear goals, that you mentioned goals before, and I think that's such an important component of being able to shift from the short-term, long-term, but finding that balance and building momentum, and I think it's through goals. So when we come back, I'd like to talk about that. It's a shame when you're feeling stuck in your business and you feel like you have nowhere to turn. It's a shame when you slog through long days in your business and you don't get any return. It's a shame when you feel like you can't see the forest from the trees and your business brings you to your knees. Einstein said repeating the same actions over and over won't produce different results. So stop feeling ashamed. Your business and you deserve better. Change that shame into righteous fame. Connie Whitman, contain that shame. Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates will help you to discover your new path, and nothing will ever be the same. Connie's tried and true one-on-one coaching sessions will tame that shame so you and your business will not continue in vain. Call Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates today at 732-888-1420. That's 732-888-1420. Or email Connie at WhitmanAssociates.com. Call Connie. Turn that shame into your game. Okay, we are back. We are talking with um, an awesome author named John Vespasian, and we're talking about rational living. And I think it's really such a appropriate um, topic, especially, you know, I mean, you know what's going on in the U.S. with the... Um, the political arena, you know, they're calling it a political circus. I find that offending, you know, that we're one of the best countries in the world and we're looked upon as a circus. So I think rational living is much needed today and I, I would imagine across the world. So you talk about goals and people who don't have clear goals. Um, you try to teach in your book about providing clear goals. How do you, how do you teach that? Can you give some ideas? Well, um, first I would like to address the question of people who don't have goals. Yeah. Because uh, when, you read, uh, when you read books about personal development, everything comes uh, down to, the boils down to say, okay, you have to have a goal, and then you have to have a plan, and then you have to implement the plan. But in real uh, life, uh, millions of people have no goals, or they have um, uh, goals which are undefined, or they are vague, and this is their human condition. I mean, we should not fool ourselves trying to say, okay, everything is very easy, you just have a goal and then you pursue it, while most of the time uh, we have so many problems as individuals and we are, we are in the middle of uh, so many uh, complex uh, circumstances that many people just don't have goals, or they don't have clear goals. So what do you do in those situations, which are extremely common? And I find it a bit irritating that uh, they are never addressed in, uh, in personal development books because apparently all human beings have goals. And it is nonsense because uh, I would say 80% of the population don't have uh, very, very clear goals or at least not very ambitious goals. So what sure. do you do when you don't have goals? Well, um, again, I want to mention um, uh, quickly uh, a chess player because uh, I, I address uh, in my books, I, I often address problems by, by showing how... Um, 
how you can win on chess because chess players are fascinating personalities because first you need to be quite uh, obsessed to become a very very good chess player and uh, they, there is a, usually a philosophy about uh, how people play chess and one of my favorite stories is the story of uh, Ninsovich who was uh, he was a very strong player in the 1920s and Ninsovich uh, was not a brilliant player I mean when you see how he was able to gain to to win games uh, nobody would say that Ninsovich was brilliant but still he, he was able to win systematically very very strong um, opponents and and the, what is really amazing about Ninsovich is that most of the time you would not see a plan you would see his games uh, like sort of boring like he was not uh, doing anything and in the end he wins <laughs> and people always ask Ninsovich okay what how did you win and how could you able how could you actually uh, turn around this uh, situation and Ninsovich would always uh, very modestly would say look I'm not a brilliant player I'm not I am not brilliant and most of the time I have no ideas so I don't know what to do <laughs> so when you have no ideas uh, in chess or in life and when you don't know when you don't have a specific goal uh, what Ninsovich did uh, in his games and what is a very good uh, piece of advice uh, for everybody who don't have um, who doesn't have um, uh, clear goals is just what Nisovic did, which was to reinforce his position. And uh, when he was playing a very complex uh, chess game, and he didn't have a clear plan, the only thing he did was basically to make his position stronger by uh, improving his uh, defenses. And when you have a situation in your job, in your relationships, in your uh, investments, where you really don't know what to do, because you have so many choices and you don't know really what to do, uh, the best strategy most of the time is just to improve your skills to improve your skills, to learn new things, to try to become a bit better, even 1% better, 2% better, and to try to learn more things until you discover exactly what you want. And this is usually a very low-cost strategy and a very low-risk strategy, which is never recommended when you see these uh, personal development books where everything is about just do it, just do it, just do it. But okay, but if you don't know what to do, sure. uh, what, what are you going to do? So in, in many situations, it's a very, very good um, strategy just to improve your skills, to improve your situation, to try to consolidate uh, your assets, whether they are financial assets, where relationships, where is your job, where is your career, where your skills, and try to learn, uh, to learn more things. And, and I always stress in my books the importance of trying to, listen, to, trying to learn the second language. Because uh, if you are in the U.S., for instance, I think it's very useful if you, if you just learn Spanish, or um, because, I mean, there are so many people who speak Spanish in the U.S., or learn French, or learn whatever, because it will open your eyes uh, to other culture. And I have the theory that uh, people who make the effort uh, to learn um, a second language, they become, um, I would say, more benevolent and more tolerant uh, about um, other cultures. Uh, sure. Because you learn to see uh, a different way of, uh, um, of living. Even if you just learn uh, Spanish, which is uh, relatively an easy language, um, you will see the world in a different way because you will become uh, more open, more tolerant, and um, I think it's a good idea for anyone, especially for young people. Yeah, and it's interesting. You said so many things that I think are so critical and key. Um, you know, he, the, the um, uh, chess player, improved his defensive position, and you translate that into improving our own skills. And when I, I have a consulting business and when I teach um, coaching or I te teach how to improve your skills, really communicating with your client, right, to improve sales, um, I always say you have to build on your strengths because that's the foundation. You want to make stronger and stronger and stronger. 
most people go, oh, let me pick my biggest weakness and work on that. And then what happens is because it might not be a natural talent for you, not that you won't ever achieve it, but you're starting so far back that you lose momentum because you get exhausted instead of saying, well, here's some of my strengths that I'm good at. Let me explore more topics. Let me learn more. Let, I'm good at languages. Let me learn another language. And, and it's funny, I'm, I, I don't know how old you are, John, but I'm 54. I'm to be 55 in a couple of months. And I'm always doing online classes. I'm always reading books that have a totally different perspective than my own because I think it shifts your reality when you look at something from a totally perspective that you would never have thought of on your own, right? Because you, you know what you know. And my kids laugh at me, oh, she's learning again. And I, I keep telling, I have a 17-year-old and a 20-year-old, and I, I keep saying to them, you never stop learning. You, you constantly build skill because that will open more doors, and you never know when you're going to need those doors in your life. So even if you open 20 doors and you only use two, can you imagine? You have 18 other doors that you might want to investigate versus opening one door and that closing on you, what do you do? You're screwed. So they, they mock me. But I, I agree wholeheartedly, skill development, skill development, skill development, build on your strengths and continue to learn. And learn other perspectives because I think that, like I love this perspective and I've never thought about it this way. So next time I speak, I could say it's called rational living. You know, my friend John Vespasian taught me that it's that pendulum. We live in the extremes. You really have to live in that rational point of living where you're looking at short-term, long-term, what are new perspectives, what are skills that I can develop. That's what makes me better, stronger, faster, smarter, um, you know, whatever you're trying to achieve. Why do you think that people feel stuck and give up? Is, do you think well, it's because they start with the weaknesses, or do you have another perspective? Uh, yes, I have another perspective. Because uh, when you read uh, most uh, books about uh, personal development, they always put the blame on the individual. Ah, it's your own fault if you're not successful. And uh, you should try this and this and that. And you have to be realized that in most cases it's not true. I mean, mm -hmm. many people are just unsuccessful, not because they are not trying, because most people work uh, very hard. I agree. Uh, but sometimes they are unsuccessful. And my theory, uh, which I think is true, and this is what I, I actually analyze in my books, uh, is that most people are uh, stuck or unsuccessful because they are not um, uh, in a context that allows them to grow. Mm -hmm. And let me give you an example, uh, which is uh, it's an example I like a lot. It's a, it's a U.S.-Mexican example. And it's the story of, uh, of Diego Rivera, who is the most famous uh, Mexican painting, painter. He, was, he died in uh, 1957. And Rivera was a complete disaster at the beginning. I mean, he didn't know what to do with his life. He was in Mexico um, trying to get um, started as an artist, and he was really not able to, uh, to draw very well. Eventually, he got some kind of uh, scholarship to go to, um, to Paris for uh, a few months. So he went to Paris. Uh, it was in the 19... Uh, 1920s, well, early, early uh, 1915, 14, he was there with many painters. It was a, a period of great uh, artistic um, uh, innovation in, in France, but uh, Rivera was a complete disaster. He was there meeting all the great uh, painters, French painters. He tried to imitate everybody. He made uh, all kind of, uh, he tried all tendencies of in painting. He failed totally and completely. He was not able to sell one single painting. He, was, he hung around in Paris for uh, half a year. Uh, complete disaster. Uh, he never was able to draw anything which, uh, of any quality. 
Um, well, he was in complete despair. Uh, he, he was going to back uh, to Mexico, uh, basically to give up his dream of becoming an artist. But he said, okay, since I'm in Europe anyway, I'm going to, to take a detour, I'm going to go to Italy. So he went to Italy for uh, a couple of weeks, and he hung around uh, in different monasteries and churches and cathedrals looking at uh, paintings. At a certain point, uh, he visited uh, a monastery in Florence, where he saw these paintings of uh, Giotto, who was uh, uh, an artist uh, was 13th, 14th century. And Giotto uh, was an artist uh, very, very primitive uh, in, the, in the technique because he didn't uh, use perspective. He, he, he drew uh, like um, Bible stories, basically uh, two-dimensional like comics, like, um, uh, I mean, like people used to draw, I mean, like people do uh, um, Snoopy and this kind of stuff. So these really like uh, old-time comics, very very uh, colorful, but still they were comics. But Rivera, uh, for some reason, he found uh, he found it fascinating. I said, "Oh, I can do this. I mean, I cannot really paint, but I sure can do this." And then he started to look at them, and uh, he said, "Okay, why not? I mean, since I'm not selling anything, I might as well try to imitate uh, Giotto." So he he, he hung around in the monastery. And he asked uh, the monks, okay, how can you paint on the walls? Because Giotto was painting on the walls, big paintings. And he learned uh, in these two weeks the basic techniques about how to paint fresco, which is a technique of um, Renaissance painting, where you basically, you plaster the wall with um, uh, basically white, and then you paint uh, when, the, when the wall is still wet. And you paint this kind of huge uh, comic strips on the, on the wall. And he, he went back to Mexico. Uh, he started to uh, to try his Giotto technique, his fresco technique, which was completely forgotten in history. I mean, something from the 14th century. And immediately he was so successful, you could not believe, because it was at the time of the communist um, uh, dictatorship in Mexico uh, that lasted uh, many years. So his only way to get uh, commissions was to try to paint uh, churches, which were turned into schools, to paint some government buildings. So he started to make these huge uh, sort of medieval uh, comics uh, strips, paintings about the revolution in Mexico, and painting uh, peasants and, and uh, a chicken and this kind of stuff, which was, I mean, was like a bit childish. But still, it was highly original, and he used very, 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 very colorful um, uh, designs. And uh, he became famous almost overnight. I mean, after two or three years, he was fairly well established in Mexico. He started to paint also in the U.S. He painted uh, in New York. He painted, uh, I think, in San Francisco. And by the time he died, uh, he was extremely wealthy and extremely successful. And basically, he found his, um, his opportunity just by trying different things. Because mm -hmm. it's not that he, uh, he didn't want to be successful. Of course he wanted to be successful, sure. but he had no clue. And this is how most people find success. It's not just by trying harder. Uh, sometimes uh, you are in the wrong position, you, are in the wrong, uh, you have the wrong strategy, and the only way I have found in history by reading hundreds of uh, biographies is you have to try different things until you find the right way to use your talent. And sometimes it's completely unexpected. Huh? You must, uh, I mean, this guy could have been uh, in Paris for 20 years, being completely unsuccessful, and it was just because he was curious, he went to, um, to Florence, I mean, there are millions of people who watch, uh, who, who go to Florence to see these paintings of Giotto, but he was the only one who, who asked, okay, how do you make this? How can I copy this? And he just hung around, he asked questions, and uh, he went back to Mexico and he became very successful because he just bothered to ask questions. Yeah. And this is very important. Don't be contented with uh, hanging around because if it doesn't work, uh, maybe you just have to move and try something else.
Yeah, and uh, you made me laugh because this was, I wrote a little note to myself. When he left Paris and he went to Florence, um, you know, he's like, eh, let me do that. Sometimes you know where you're supposed to be going, even though you don't have the rational thought of, I need to go there. But for whatever reason, right, that's where he shifted and went. And that's where he found his opportunity um, again. And then he explored it and he... Um, he made it his, which I think is an amazing story. You never know. And this is the other thing I see with people. They give up too soon. Oh, it's not working. And then they just give up. Where if they stick it out an extra week, all of a sudden it might click or the opportunity will present itself. So like if he had just went from France and then went back home, he would have missed that opportunity. But that he took that extra step lo and behold, you know, right in front of him is the magic of what he should be doing with his life. And I, I just think people give up too soon. And the other thing, and we're actually out of time, but the other thing, John, that I love that you said is ask freaking questions. They cost you nothing. And if you see somebody who's doing something you want to do, ask them, how did you do it? How did you get started? What were the pitfalls? What education do I need? What books do you read? Uh, you know, whatever. What, what brought you to the point of where you are? Ask questions. And I really believe that when you ask a successful person, you know, what do you do, whatever, um, they want to help you. So they'll answer all of your questions as well. Um, our time is up, John, but what a great, uh, what a great, um, uh, show and I love the stories that people who were successful and failed and who was somebody who was the failure and then just by making a step into Florence you know found his true path or his true calling uh, just amazing and I'm sure you have in the books a million more of those stories so everybody I right now I'm gonna John is gonna send me the link to Facebook and LinkedIn and all that stuff and Twitter uh, but for now if you're really interested before um, you know if you're on the road you're I'm commuting with you and you don't you don't have a computer at hand please don't do it while you're driving um, go to you can Google search him and everything will come up trust me it's an interesting name it'll come up it's John regular John J-O-H-N and his last name is Vespa Pacian, which is V like Victor, E S P like Peter, A S I A N. So if you Google him, it'll come up, but I promise I'll put everything on the Architect of Change web talk radio as well, okay? Uh, John, thank you so much for being on and for sharing the stories and your concept of rational living. I love it. I'm a fan. Many thanks, Connie. It has been a pleasure to talk to you. Yes, back at you. And everybody, you know, it's still summer over here. Feet in the sand. I recommend anyone in the U.S. that's going on vacation. Very, very interesting books um, to go buy and read while on vacation. Uh, again, you might learn something, too. And again, you'll find that uh, John's books are, I think, enlightening, but I think has a, a fun component to it as well. Right, John? You, you, you do add some humor with the stories and stuff like that, right? Uh, as much as possible, yeah. Yes, yeah, humor is good. Uh, thank you again, John. Uh, I appreciate being, you being on. And everybody, I, I thank you for taking the time uh, to listen in and hang out with us. I hope you will all join me weekly as we question, build, and discover together how to grow and challenge ourselves so we all embrace change and realize that it's so possible and, and oftentimes easier than we think. Thank you again, John, for being such an awesome guest. 
You've been listening to Architect of Change. It's me, your host, Connie Whitman, on webtalkradio.net. Thank you so much, everybody. Please go out and have an inspired week. You've been listening to The Architect of Change with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Thank you for tuning in. We're glad you were here. Time may change.